G'day and welcome to the Hidden Why podcast. This is episode 795, my interview with Oren J. Sofa. Say what you mean. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Hidden Why podcast. How you going? Welcome to the show. Lee here. Guys, thanks for tuning in. Sorry about the silliness. Here I am on a sunny Friday and about to deliver to you a beautiful interview that I've just recently carried out with Oren J. Sofa. We're talking about his new book, Say What You Mean. What we're really talking about today, guys, is communication. We're talking about relationships and we're talking about mindfulness or consciousness or what do you call it, presence. And I think they're all interrelated. And really, it's something that we don't often think about is how we communicate, how we communicate internally, what's our internal dialogue like, but uh, how we communicate to others as well. How good are our conversational skills? And it's something that we need, I believe that we all need to and and all can improve on. Certainly, I got a lot of value out of some of the things that uh, Oren was throwing out in this episode. They're just some great practical advice that can really take us a long way, not only for our our ability in conversation, but our ability to enhance our awareness as well. I think it's really important. So guys, enjoy this show. Quick shout out to myself as well. I'm going to release my book soon, guys. It is uh, edited. I just need to get it published now. Uh, It will probably be a self-published book, and I'll uh, definitely share the links with you once it's ready to go. Guys, thanks for tuning in to another interview here at The Hidden Wire Podcast. Love to connect with you, so reach out at thehiddenwire.com or on Facebook at The Hidden Wire. Cheers, and enjoy the show. G'day, Oren. Welcome to The Hidden Wire Podcast. How are you today? I'm great. Happy to be here, Lee. It's great to have you. Great to have you. And whereabouts are you in the world? Uh, I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area in California. Yeah. Actually, the gentleman I just spoke to, Dawson Church, he's uh, Northern California as well. Yeah. And and you? Are you out in Ireland? Mate, no, I'm in... uh, Yeah, I'm not actually. I'm in um, Australia. Ah, okay. So, there's there's my 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 American ear, which can't quite tell the difference. <laughs> no, fair <laughs> enough. I've been I've been accused of having a South, uh, sorry, a New Zealand accent, uh, an African sort of accent, and um, I'm pretty sure I've got Irish blood in me too. So uh, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. But Oren, what? Um, so mate, we're we're here today to talk about your new book. You've got a book out called "Say What You Mean: uh, A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication." But before we jump into the, the content there and, and what sort of drove you to write that, what is your background? What is, what is your work? Yeah, sure. So um, my background, I started as a meditator, um, just trying to get some clarity and balance in my own life as a teenager. And uh, from there, I realized that the meditation skills I was developing weren't translating and showing up in my relationships. So from there, I started looking at communication and interpersonal relationships. And I found that the meditation tools um kind of like primed my whole mind and kind of emotions to take to the communication training really, really easily. Everything was sort of ready uh, to soak up the communication tools. Uh, And then from there, yeah, and then from there, I started studying more about relationships and trauma and what gets in the way of us realizing our intentions. And so today I kind of bring all three of those together, mindfulness, meditation, communication and uh, nervous system regulation nervous system regulation okay cool and so what did you so you got into meditation because you're trying to sort of self-heal and, and improve your own life mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Do you find a lot of these things that you're you're passionate about, you're interested in, have come from a sense of trying to, um, you know, please or satisfy some sense of self? I think it's a combination. You know, it definitely started with just being kind of lost as a teenager and uh, feeling overwhelmed by my own life and and trying to get some clarity. Um, but th- I've o- also always felt a deep calling to contribute to the world in a meaningful way. Mm. And, you know, had kind of a basic question of like, what's the most meaningful contribution I can make with my energy and my time? Um, and so that was also a question that was very much informing my choices over the years um, and helping people to feel more clear and grounded and connected to their values seemed like a really useful way to contribute. And so the meditation practice uh, started just for myself. And then after about 10 years, I started teaching and sharing it with others. And the same thing with the communication. It started more just to try to have better relationships in my own life. And then as I as I started to have some facility with that, I looked around and realized, gee, there's a lot of people who could benefit from having some of these tools in their own life. Yeah. So what's some of the meditation tools that you sort of work with people on? You know, the two the two main branches of meditation that I teach, they both come from the Buddhist tradition. And one is insight meditation, um, which in the secular world gets translated as mindfulness meditation, which is about developing more clarity and awareness, learning to understand our own minds more directly. Uh, and the other is loving kindness meditation and kind of an associated um, series of practices that are about opening the heart and cultivating positive mind states. And this is very consistent with the work that's being done today in positive psychology uh, and other forms of psychology. There's a lot of research being done, obviously, on on both kinds of meditation and kind of modern neuroscience verifying a lot of the uh, empirical results that meditators see in their own lives in terms of increased well-being, resilience, less stress, um, so those are those are the two sort of main forms of meditation that I focus on. Okay, and what does your practice look like? Uh, two, a couple different things. I mean, formally, uh, I meditate every day. I do some some qigong in the morning, uh, just kind of a little bit of movement to f- relax, kind of feel my body. You the know, qigong during- is, is similar to tai chi. Is that? Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, it comes from the same same uh, region in the in the world, mostly from China. Um, qigong was is kind of like a, a forefather of Tai Chi. So there are many many different kinds of Qigong, and it's a, it's an awareness movement practice yeah. that's about feeling energy in your body and kind of relaxing relaxing your body through slow repetitive movements. So generally very grounding and soothing. So I do about fifteen or twenty minutes of that, and then I do some sitting meditation for anywhere from twenty to forty five minutes, um, usually focusing on the breath and my body, um, oftentimes also practicing some loving kindness or compassion just to kind of open the heart and connect with the heart. Um, so that's in the mornings. Uh, and then throughout my day, um, I practice trying to stay aware in my body, trying to stay connected to uh, the present moment by, by I use my body a lot as a kind of an anchor, a place to rest, rest yeah. my attention. And another huge part of my, my 
meditation practice actually is conversation. So I use okay. relationships and conversation as a way of strengthening uh, awareness because we, we're communicating all the time. Even when we're alone, there's that like narrative going on right in the back of our heads. So I try to pay attention to the thoughts that are going on. And when I'm interacting with someone else, you know, am I really listening? How am I, how am I showing up? What, uh, what intentions are, are uh, directing the conversation? Hmm. Hmm. With the um, Qigong uh, in the morning, I mean, I've, I've done a bit of, I think it was Tai Chi more so uh, in the past, and, and I found it, um, it's just interesting that it's sort of good for, for mindfulness and, and, you know, that aspect of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found it quite physical when I, when I tried it out and uh, actually a lot, of, a lot of exertions, funnily enough, but yeah, what are your thoughts there? Well, you know, there's, it's interesting. There are like all different kinds of Qigong. It's kind of like yoga. You know, mm. you can go and you can do Hatha yoga, which is very slow. You can do Bikram yoga, which is hot and super intense. So it's the same thing with Qigong. And I've studied with different Qigong teachers over the years and have kind of picked up different pieces that I've found really helpful. So I tend to keep it pretty mellow. Yeah. Uh, in the morning, it's more about a little bit of light stretching, kind of evening out the energy in my body after sleeping, you know, if things feel tight or cramped. Um, and I, I don't know, I find it's kind of very, very enjoyable. It's almost like, um, it sounds odd, but almost like giving your body a little massage, but without actually, you know, pressing on the muscles just through the, through the, through the gentle movements and the breathing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, um, I enjoy swimming in the morning and I, I find that quite meditative, um, for some mm-hmm. reason, you know, just doing laps up and down, it sounds boring to a lot of people, but um, I actually quite enjoy it. And the longer distances I've just started doing too, I find uh, helps even more because I find by that end, I'm so focused on just the, the next, you know, uh, arm length and mm-hmm. kick that mm-hmm. um, everything else sort of dissipates, if that makes sense. It does, yeah. It actually makes a lot of sense. You know, the basically any kind of rhythmic movement that's coordinated with breathing can be meditative, whether it's swimming or running or biking, uh, other forms of exercise. But, you know, our nervous system is is designed to attune to rhythm. So when we're doing any kind of repetitive movement and our breathing is coordinated, if we're paying attention, that it's in and of itself can become a meditation. Yeah, yeah, I like it. It's um, good stuff. What do you recommend for people like just starting out in this field of meditation? How do you sort of encourage them to get started and and what sort of tips, advice do you give them to, you know, just start out and and so they don't, you know, give up too soon or keep going? Yeah, that's such a great question. I think the first thing is, is is to understand that meditation isn't about getting rid of your thoughts. That's probably one of the most common misconceptions and why why a lot of people stop very shortly after yeah. they begin because mm. they think, well, I can't do it. Like my mind is just thinking all the time. I can't get my mind to stop thinking, so I'm not any good at this. Um, the mind thinks just like the ears hear, just like the eye sees, just like the nose smells. It's just part of what it's designed to do. So coming to meditate and thinking, having the idea I should stop thinking is kind of as ludicrous as sitting down and thinking, now I'm going to stop hearing. Yeah. <laughs> it just it, it doesn't work that way. Sometimes your thoughts get quieter or there's more space between them. Sometimes they might stop altogether for a period of time, but that's not the point. The point is to be more aware of your thoughts, to actually notice 
what's happening and what we're thinking so that we're not as pushed around by our thoughts, so that mm. we're not as oppressed and defined by our thoughts. So having a clear um, uh, expectation is really important and not coming with false expectations. There are many different kinds of meditation, obviously, out there. Um, I have my own preferences, but I think that um, it's important to feel a sense of connection. So to really trust oneself and try different things out and see what speaks to you. You know, what really feels um, natural, what feels like it uh you have an you have a a natural interest in learning more about it the basic practice of any kind of meditation is sitting comfortably allowing your body to become relatively still and then observing what's happening in your moment to moment experience hmm. many many forms of meditation will use what's called an anchor it's basically choosing a reference point, something to keep coming back to because our mind tends to throw up so many thoughts and yeah. ideas and memories and plans. So it's useful to have something to keep coming back to, whether it's your breath, a mantra, a sound that you're listening to. But basically, you want to just observe in the moment, what's my experience in the body? What's the experience in the mind? And if you do that in a consistent, patient and curious way, you will slowly begin to understand your own mind. And that's the point. Yeah, I like that. Well explained. So moving from meditation to, to communication, I mean, the book Say What You Mean, um, I assume it's about that, about conversation and maybe not not just to ourselves, but to others as well. But what, what got you writing this book and, and why? So I had been teaching uh, mindful communication for about eight or eight or ten years teaching a few classes and um, people were reporting just having a lot of benefit from the method that I had developed kind of integrating certain mindfulness practices and meditation techniques into the system of what's called nonviolent communication which is a particular form of communication training that was developed by a guy named Marshall Rosenberg okay. And so uh, seeing the benefits that people were getting from the classes I was teaching, um, a couple of publishers approached me and said, hey, you know, have you ever thought about writing, putting some of this in writing? And uh, so that was that was kind of the impetus of wanting to share some of these tools more widely than just the people I could teach here locally. So what what is it all about, nonviolent communication? I, I, yeah. What's it all about? Yeah, what's well, like nonviolent? So, I understand the communication piece, but the nonviolent is sort of something that, I guess, aggression right. and, and things like that might be considered nonviolent. But there's there's got to be more there, I assume. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so there's a lot to it. So, nonviolent communication, we could say it's it's more than a communication te technique. It's actually about, it's a way of understanding ourselves, mm. uh, relating. There's, a, there's to, a link between mindfulness and. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Right. So it's understanding ourself, our own mind, uh, relating to other people and the world in a way that makes it easier to work together. Um, okay and enjoy and enjoy life. The nonviolent piece where that comes from. Uh, so there, there are two, two ways that I explain that. So the, the founder of nonviolent communication, Marshall Rosenberg, uh, he grew up in Detroit in the forties and he lived through the race riots, the first wave of race riots that happened there. So there's a lot of violence, 
several dozen people lost their lives just within a few blocks of his house. And this left a really deep impression on him. Uh, he said later in life that it was an education that people in our society, in our world, might want to hurt you just because of the color of your skin. Uh, Rosenberg was Jewish as he grew up, went to school. He got beat up a lot for being Jewish. His dad was the victim of a lot of anti-Semitism. So again, he learned, well, gee, people might want to hurt you just because of your last name. So these experiences kind of planted this question in him. Why do some people, uh, when their needs aren't met, when things aren't going the way they want, why do some people resort to violence? Mm. And other people in life, even under the most trying circumstances, are able to stay connected to compassion and to see the humanity in one another, even people who they disagree with. So what he found, and this is one of the reasons why he named it nonviolent communication, what he found was that the way that we think and the way that we speak plays a large role in whether or not we will see violence as a viable strategy in different situations. Essentially, if we believe the thoughts and the perceptions that say that other people cause my pain, then we will believe that violence is an appropriate response. Because if you're causing my pain, then you deserve to, to be punished. It's okay for me to do violence to you. And this, this kind of goes to his kind of a sort of a core philosophical perspective on life, which is very similar to the conversation you were having with another, uh, another guest on your show about sto stoicism, mm. which shares in common um, perspective in Buddhism and many other forms of, of philosophy, which is that our experience is our internal experience is defined not by the external events of our life, but by how we relate to them, how we're responding to them. Mm. So this is one, I'm, I'm kind of going off on a trip here, if that's okay. This is one, <laughs> one, one reason why he called it nonviolent communication. The other reason he, he decided to call it nonviolent communication was very consciously and intentionally to place it within the tradition of Gandhian and Kingian nonviolence because he saw communication as a pivotal tool for social change. And that if we don't actually transform not only our words and our communication, but the consciousness behind our language, if we don't transform the, the views and the beliefs and the premises that underlie our communication, and we're working for social change, we run the risk of recreating the same dynamics of oppression and supremacy and inequality that are embedded in the institutions of our society today. So nonviolent communication means that we are, we are using the technique not only for our relationships and our communication, but actually to transform our consciousness so that we are living in a way that is in line with the deepest values for non-harming, uh, kindness, compassion, and living in a way that there's enough for everyone. It's another good link there to uh, yeah, our, our meditation and well-being. How do Absolutely. we? How do we get started with all this non? <laughs> like, where do you start with nonviolent communication? Right. I mean, I assume it's a self-assessment and, and understanding our current levels or style of communication. Yeah, it is. That's that's a, that's a good way of putting it. So. Uh, the way that I approach it, again, integrating the meditation is I, I start with awareness. I start, so I talk about three different foundations to skillful communication. And the first of those is what I call presence, hmm. 
which is the word that I like to use for mindfulness or awareness, because mindfulness and awareness sound kind of cold, heady, mental, disconnected. Whereas the word presence for me, it, it has that sense of like really being here in your body with what's happening right now. So if we want to have an effective conversation, if we want to have a meaningful relationship with somebody, if we want to get something done in an efficient way, the first and most important prerequisite is showing up, is actually being present. Hmm. And if we're, if we're not aware, we're going to be on automatic, our habits are going to be running the show, and we're going to miss a lot. We're going to miss a lot of information, a lot of cues, Probably so the most first, people these days, we're all, you know, running 100 miles an hour after not much and uh, very non-present. Exactly. And and this is why this, this first uh, training, this first foundation uh, can be so challenging is that there's so much in our society going against it, right? The pace of our society, the, the prevalence of screens, the yeah. level of disembodiment, the fragmentation of our attention. So we're working against all of those forces to learn how to cultivate more moment-to-moment embodied awareness, not just in ourself, but with another human being in real time in a conversation. And, you know, when someone's really present, right, when someone actually gives us their full attention, we can feel it, right? We know when someone's actually listening. And that sets the stage for having a more effective conversation. So this is the beginning. This is mm. where it starts. Yeah. Is with training ourselves to be more present. How do we train ourselves to be more present? So what, mindfulness what things can I do to to try and develop this presence? Yeah, so mindfulness practice is a great one. Just just doing any kind of awareness practice on your own is is starts to lay the foundation. Is then like when we you're with us this morning, yep. Exactly. Yeah. Um Additionally, when you're in conversation with other people, there are two or three tools that I uh, tools that I suggest people play with, and I, and I really suggest that that attitude of like experimenting and playing to see what works for you. It's not that there's a right way to do it. It's yeah. more about what what helps you feel more connected to yourself, more grounded in the moment when you're talking to someone else. So, um, one, I think that's like most things, isn't it? We we've just got to. Um, you know, try try all these different things and, and activities, and and figure out which is more appropriate for ourselves. That's right. Yeah, yeah. we just we just keep trying until we find what works, and yeah. hopefully, we have someone else pointing things out to us who's who's been down the path a little bit further. Who says you might try this out, mm. see if that works for you. So, first, try just feeling your body. Try becoming aware of your hands or the weight of your body or your feet on the floor. Our mind can move a thousand miles an hour. Our body's always in the present. It doesn't go into the past or the future. So if you're aware of a body sensation in that moment, you're present. Yeah, yeah. So just feeling your body is a great way to start to bring more awareness into a conversation. Another another tool, another tip you can try hmm. is is to pause before you say something, before you respond. That's a big one, huh? <laughs> like it's one. huge. It doesn't need to be a long pause either. It could be half a breath. People find pausing so uncomfortable. Do they? I believe so. <laughs> I was trying to make a joke, but I don't know if it came through the radio waves there. The, uh, the uh, big no, pause I, there. The big pause, exactly, yeah. 
Um, no, I agree. Pausing can be uncomfortable, which is why I say it doesn't need to be a long pause. Um, it's just that sense of giving yourself enough space to consider, like, what am I about to say? Right? Is this really helpful? Why am I going to say this? Where is this coming from? So often we're just we're speaking. And we're not really aware of what we're saying or why we're saying it. We're not actually choosing our words. And words have a lot of power. You know, words can really affect our relationship. They can affect someone's feelings. And we've all had the experience of um, damaging a relationship just, just on one offhand remark that was said out of anger, you know, when we're upset. So, taking, so that pause helps us to take more care with what we're saying. And and the key here is starting to practice this just in ordinary conversations, not when we're having an argument with our spouse or we're having an intense negotiation at work. That's when it's actually really hard to do. You don't want to start in the hardest situation. You want to start trying these tools out where, you know, you've got some flexibility, where it doesn't matter if you're a little bit awkward or if you stumble, so that you can kind of find your way with it and find what works for you. Then the tools will be there for you more when you need them in a more difficult conversation. So feel your body, pause. Another really great one is to practice um, modulating the pace of your speech a little bit. Mm. And what this does is this helps to it helps to um, bring more awareness to what you're saying. It can help to modulate your nervous system. So uh, we speak using our breath and our breath is directly connected to our level of activation in the nervous system. So if I take a breath, if I slow the pace of my speech down a little bit, I'm naturally starting to calm my own nervous system. And I, I can feel that right now. Even as I'm speaking, there's just a little bit of a sense of settling inside as I slow the pace of my speech down. And again, it doesn't need to be unnatural. This isn't about speaking in a particular way. It's about having flexibility and choice in how we express ourselves and how we relate. It's just like playing an instrument. The more you practice it, the the wider your range of expression will be. Yeah, okay. That modulating speech one is probably something I need a bit of help with. Um, pausing, I, I feel, I feel just through my own meditation sort of practice over the last couple of years, um, it's really helped me pause not just before communication, but just pause before doing a lot of things too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, pausing, pausing is great. It 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 opens us up to life. You know, you step outside of your house or your apartment at the beginning of the day before you launch into wherever you're going. Just like take a moment, look at the sky, feel the air. It's, it's those the more we can insert those moments in our day, the more we begin to appreciate the richness of being alive. Yeah. So this is where it starts with with bringing more presence to conversation. The the next step for having more meaningful conversations, um, is about our intention. So where are we coming from? Uh, so much of our communication is nonverbal. It's actually not in the words. It's not what we say, but how we say it, our tone of voice, uh, our body language, facial expression, our gestures, and all of that nonverbal communication is being shaped and animated by our intention. Hmm. So if our intention is off, 
you know, if we're angry, if we're just trying to get our way, if we're wanting to manipulate or control the situation, the other person is going to pick up on that. They're going to feel it and it's going to stimulate their defenses or their reactivity. And that's going to the kind of continue these sort of habitual cycles of being locked in conflict, pushing and pulling one person trying to win or dominate. So coming from a more helpful intention and the the two that I really encourage people to practice um, as a default, sort of as a, as a fallback, are to come from curiosity and care. So to really have a genuine intention to understand the other person. And this is trans this is transformative. Because when somebody really gets the feeling that we are sincere in wanting to understand where they're coming from. Not necessarily that we agree. You don't have to agree with someone to understand them. But just that we actually are are interested to know what is your experience and how do you see things, then they don't need to work so hard to defend their position. And there's more openness to hearing what's going on for us. And and that starts to create the sense of mutuality and give and take that's that's so necessary for a dialogue. Hmm. So I this think intent- that intention piece is is absolutely paramount <laughs> and something that I've recently been a little bit more focused on myself. And um certainly again, I think there's a that that level of self awareness helps that, you know, going into a situation. What is the intent here? Going into my day, you know, what is the intention of my day? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, particularly with important conversations, Lee, it's like how often do we step back and reflect a little bit before an important conversation? You know, what's my intention here? How do I, how do I want to show up? Not just what do I want to get out of this? That's mm. what we're usually focused on. That's a surefire way to shut down a conversation. If we go into a conversation being kind of dead set and fixated on getting our way or having one outcome, it 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 shuts down all the possibility for anything creative to happen, for us to really hear each other or work together or understand things in a new way. Yeah. So reflecting beforehand about what's really going to be helpful here and how can I approach this in a way that's more likely to help us work together and understand one another. Again, before even looking at like the words or the communication tools, these first two foundations of having more awareness and choosing a clear and helpful intention, these can take you a long distance in communication and relationships. And and these are the pieces that are often missing in a lot of communication techniques because these are the internal Mm. foundations of effective conversations. Yeah. Well, that whole intention piece, I mean, it's it's just not relationship building, is it, if you're going in there with the wrong intention? Right, exactly. And it's all about relations. Yeah. So then the so then the the last component, and this is where the 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 sort of template of nonviolent communication really comes in. The last component is about our our attention. So we talked about presence, intention, and attention. So how are we using our attention? What are we focusing on? What are we paying attention to? And is that something that's actually going to is it going to help us to work together and hear one another yeah. in the conversation? So the the format here is a very simple but powerful structure. That's a training of our attention to focus on four different things. First, what happened. 
What's the actual observation that we want to discuss, that we're reacting to? And being able to make a, a really clear and direct observation separate from all of our interpretations, our judgments and stories and evaluations. When we can do this, when we can make a clear observation, it frees us from the oppressive stories and beliefs that we carry around about ourselves, other people in the world. Mm. So this is the first step is what happened, making an observation. Number two, how do I feel about it? What's, what's actually present for me on the emotional level? And then most, most importantly, why? What matters? So the understanding here that comes from humanistic psychology, from folks like Maslow um, and Carl Rogers, is that our emotions are information that point back to our core needs as human beings. And so a lot of the times we might be aware of how we feel, but we don't know why. We haven't actually we haven't actually plumbed the depths of our needs. What's actually important to us in the situation? If we didn't care mm. about something, we wouldn't have any feelings about it. Yeah. So when there's emotion, it means that something matters to us. So we want to be able to identify what's actually important to me and to have that um that sense of empathy and mutuality that that can inquire and be open to, and what's important for the other person? Mm. What are they bringing to the table? What matters for them? So what happened? How do I feel about it? Why? What's yeah. important? And then last, where do I want to go from here? What do I think could help move things forward just right now in this moment? And this is about making a clear request, has suggesting some kind of idea for how to understand one another and work together. Okay. Yeah. I like those steps. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and particularly reflecting with the why, you know, about how you feel, but how do they feel? Mm-hmm, exactly. Know, what matters to, to both parties rather than most of us just focus on, you know, our own emotions and how we feel and we don't, we neglect to see the bigger picture, I guess. Yeah. And one of the things that's so powerful about this, um, this template is that it, it helps us to to do, let's just say in this context, it helps us to do two things. Mm. Uh, first, it helps us to say what's, what's going on for us, just to express our own authentic truth without blame. Yeah. Never in the history of a relationship has somebody responded to blame by saying, thank you for enlightening me and pointing out the error of my ways. You know, you have, <laughs> you have opened, you have opened my eyes and I am so grateful for all of the blame and criticism that you have levied upon me. Like mm. that's not the way humans work. When we blame people, they get defensive. Yeah. So how do we say what's true? How do we say like what our experience is in a way that the other person is more likely to hear, right? So we want to, the less blame and criticism in our words, the easier it is for other people to hear us. So viewing things in, in this way, using these four components of an observation, a feeling, a need, and a request, what mm-hmm. happened? How do I feel about it? Why do I feel that way about it? And what are my ideas for moving forward? Means that I can talk about anything without blaming someone. Yes. That's what that's one thing it does for us. And then the really cool thing is it works in the other direction. Yeah. So when somebody's coming at me and they don't have any of this training, they don't have any of these skills and they're blaming me, I don't need to take it on. I can just listen 
in this uh, kind of, it's almost like an Aikido move. I don't listen to the judgments or the words or the blame. I listen for what I think might actually be going on. How do they actually feel and what's important to them? And I don't need to either agree or disagree with the story. I can just try to hear what matters. Yeah, that's great stuff. I could have used this last night actually in a conversation that got a little bit heated. Mm. One of the things I love about these communication tools is in most conversations, not all, but in most conversations, we can, we can, we can do it over, you know, very, very common in, in life. If you go back to somebody and you say, you know, I kind of, I kind of wish I'd said things a little bit differently in that last conversation. Would you mind if I try again? Generally, most people are are uh, are game. They're up for it because because we're coming from a place of humility, right? We're we're taking responsibility and saying, look, you know, I I kind of lost my cool a little bit, or you know, I, I kind of exaggerated some, or I wish I would have said things a little bit differently. And I, I just call that the do over. Yeah, you know, just like, you mind if I just do it over? Yeah, and again, it's not in all situations, but in many situations, most people are happy for happy for uh, to to offer that opportunity. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and I think it's perfect. Like if you can reflect on all that and where your attention was and how you feel and how they feel, and then go back in it with a you know a place of care and curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, any any, I guess most times nine times out of ten. Good things can come from that. Yeah, you know, I want I want to offer another tip, another tool for folks who are listening on the uh, curiosity and care part, on the intention part. Um, so obviously, listening right is a is a core tool there, and and just that in and of itself is a training to um, to bring awareness to are we even listening? You know, how much are we planning what we're going to say next, building our case. Um, or just mind wandering. So really cultivating the capacity to listen and hear what someone is saying. But to go one step further, uh, we can express that intention for curiosity and care um, by offering back to someone else our understanding of what they've said. And this is this is a really um, this can be a really great way to develop trust mm. and to build understanding in a relationship. Because most of the time as human beings, when we speak, we want to be understood. Yes. Right? We wouldn't open our mouth if we didn't want someone to be listening and hear us. Um, so we can Makes give sense. someone that confirmation and that, uh, that relief inside of knowing that they've been heard by saying back to them some version of of what we're understanding. And I, I really I invite people to to make this really authentic yep. and to find a short phrase that uh, that expresses the intention, such as um, let me see if I'm with you or let me see if I've got it or here's what I'm hearing. Tell me if I'm on point. Something like that, that just kind of brackets what they're about to say and lets the other person know, here's what I'm doing. Like, I want to make sure that I'm getting everything because it sounds important. Now, obviously, if we did that every single time someone said anything to us, it would be super annoying (laughs) and wouldn't work. Right. So this is a tool that's to be used when necessary, when there's something powerful or charged or important or complicated. And in those moments, 
it can be really amazing to see what happens when we take the time to check if we're understanding what someone's saying. Yeah, it makes perfect sense too to, um, again, it's like a pause, isn't it, really? And, it is. And it's a practice to sort of focus you to listen better as well by going, okay, let us let me really focus on the intention here as, you know, care and curiosity for them. Let me show that I've listened by, you know, explaining back or explaining back the understanding, I suppose. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. that gives me time to then uh, move forward or perhaps them to ask some questions or something like that. Exactly. One of the things it does in terms of that pausing that you're pointing to, Lee, is it it starts to slow the pace of the conversation down and it begins to establish a different rhythm of mm. give and take. And, and particularly in heated conversations, that rhythm starts to dissolve altogether. And instead of there being a flow of exchange mutually between two parties, we get this thing where it's like, we, we're grabbing the microphone, one person to the next, right? Neither of us are actually listening. We're just talking at each other. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, yeah, perfect stuff. It would have been very handy last night. and um, <laughs> But it's a good thing too. Like now I can sort of reflect on that and, um, you know, again, go back into it um, uh, with another conversation anyway there. But that's, uh, that's interesting stuff. So your book, I assume, outlines a lot of this stuff in more detail that you've um, sort of brought to the table today. Yeah, absolutely. The book is basically a field guide to conversations, and it takes people through all three of these foundations, and it's kind of interwoven with practices and exercises and meditations that you can do. It comes with a whole series of guided meditations so that you can basically transform your communication habits uh, over the course of reading the book one step at a time. Yeah, that's cool. And do you talk much about our internal dialogue as well, internal communications, or is it more about conversations with others? No, I do because, you know, our our connection with ourself, our relationship with ourself is the foundation hmm. of our relationship with other people and with life. You know, we can we can lose touch with ourselves. We can get estranged no, from ourselves. Yeah. And if we don't have a relationship with ourselves, how, are we, how can we expect to have a healthy relationship with someone else? Yeah. So I talk a lot about um, the importance not only of being aware of what's happening for us internally, uh, but of how to use these tools internally, because a lot of us have picked up patterns along the way from our society or our family or our culture or school of being really self-critical, really harsh. Like we say things to ourselves that we would never say to someone else. And these tools can transform that inner narrative to a voice that's more supportive, kind, caring, empathic. So um, with the listening, we talk about the practice of empathy, right? Really feeling into what another person is experiencing, being able to see things from their point of view. And in terms of the relationship with oneself, I talk a lot about self-empathy. Mm. So how, how to turn that quality of curiosity and care inwards and relate to our own internal monologue with a spirit of compassion and uh, strength also. So that when those harsh voices come up, um, we can set some limits inside um, and also kind of distill the the messages that those voices are trying to send because one of the 
one of the principles behind um, some of this communication training is that all violence and all judgments, all criticism can be understood as an alienated expression of our own unmet needs. So when there's that voice inside that's, you know, whatever it's saying, you know, mm. like you're never going to, you're never going to amount to anything or, yeah. you know, you're worthless, you're this, you're that to hear underneath that. Okay. This is an expression of some value or need that's not being met. And yes. to hear and receive the gold that's there that just doesn't know how to come out in a more useful way. Mm. Yeah. I really like that. I've, I've heard that um, before and I think it's profound actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I can, I can say for myself, you know, it's, it takes time. It's not easy, but it's definitely possible. I mean, I remember, I remember one meditation retreat that I sat, this was a, it was a loving kindness retreat. So it was about, mm. you know, cultivating the state of, of friendship and kindness uh, towards others and towards oneself. And, man, I remember like the first or second day of the retreat, just losing it, just breaking down, crying and going to one of the teachers being like, I just feel, I had never even realized how much self-hatred there was. I feel so like so much anger and hatred towards myself, you know? And I have seen over the years of the meditation practice and also these communication tools that the internal monologue is, it's not harsh like that anymore. And when there is, you know, when self-criticism or self-judgment does arise and it does come up, you know, I, I speak a lot, I teach a lot and, you know, so I, we all have off days and if I have an off night, yeah, you know, that, that voice will be there. That's like, oh, you screwed up or that wasn't so great. But what's so cool is that it's, it's like, I don't believe it right there with it is this, um, this feeling of, of, friendship, like of having my own back, like, yeah, you really care about doing a good job. You know, you want to give people something useful. Hmm. Like I'm able to hear the meaning behind it without taking on the harshness. Yeah. That's nice. I think uh, a lot of the people will benefit by grabbing a copy of your book and uh, having a read. What do you hope that readers will get out of reading your book, Oren? You know, I think there's a, a couple things, Lee. I think one, the sense of inspiration that yeah. it's really possible to to transform our communication and have healthier, more meaningful relationships. We communicate in every area of our life, at home, at work, in our communities. And this is a learnable skill. This is an actual technique that we can train ourselves in and see measurable progress in our life. And if you're interested in change, if you're interested in transformation and well-being, communication is one of the most powerful levers mm. for, cre for creating change in every aspect of our life because we're doing it all the time. Yeah, it's so true. And it's saying that we, we just really don't think about that often. Yeah. Unless yeah, we you're in the field, it. you know, where you, you know right. communication is important for your role or whatever you might be doing. But otherwise, yeah, most of us just carry on as, as usual. Yeah, it's like the air that we breathe. We don't we don't notice it until something goes wrong. So so first, you know, people get some inspiration that this is possible. And mm -hmm. second, some some really concrete tools that they can start working with right away. And if you're listening, you know, if, uh, folks tuning in, start trying out some of the skills that we've talked about, you know, pause 
uh, play with the pace of your speech and see if that brings more awareness and choice to your conversation. Mm. Pract- practice really listening yeah. or sa- or saying back to someone what you're hearing when it feels important. You know, let me see if I'm on the same page. Here's what I'm hearing. Tell me if I've got it. Mm. And, then, and then think about those four steps. When you want to have a conversation that's important or you're upset about something, you want to bring something up, just go through those steps. Okay, what happened? Like, like specifically, really, really clearly the observation, not, not my stories, not my judgments, not the blame. What actually happened? How do I feel about it? Hmm. What are the emotions that are present and why? What's important to me at the core? What really matters? What's this about? And then where do I want to go from here? What is it that I actually want to ask of this person? Do I want them to understand me? Do I want them to do something different? Do I want to know what was going on from them? Like, like chart a path forward. Give them, give them something to respond to that's actionable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the, the, a lot of the practical tips you've given us in this show, I think if we can just take a few of those away and start, you know, being conscious of mm-hmm. them and, and, you know, I, I really, I just think that the whole, having that level of consciousness towards your conversation and your, in your style of communication will just immediately benefit you. And then having the right intent, I mean, that's great. And then the attention after that, I think those three things alone um, will certainly um, help anyone really improve their their level of communication and their their uh, conversation style. Yeah, and and the changes happen slowly. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like you're saying. It's, it's like, like if anything, we just, isn't it? yep, if we just take one or two tools and start to implement them. Over time, we start to see changes, and then as those changes occur, then we can start adding in more tools, and then and then we're off and moving in the right direction. Yeah, that's great. Oren, thanks for uh, coming on. How can people best reach out to you? Yeah, so uh, I'm on social media at Oren J. Sofer. My website is orenjsofer.com. Uh, best way to stay in touch is through my email list. Um, I give away a free guided meditation series and a short ebook on contemplative practice. Uh, folks can subscribe right on my website. And uh, thanks again for having me on the show, Lee. It's been been great to talk. That's cool, man. I'll stick the links in the show notes, guys, for those uh, um, so you can reach out to Oren as well. Um, so check that out at thehiddenwide.com. This is episode 795. Um, so just jump onto thehiddenwide.com and you can search that up. Um, also stick a link to the book in there for Oren as well. So um, please support the show by using the link and that'll direct you to an Amazon site where you can purchase a copy of his book as well. Oren, once again, thanks, man, for coming on and sharing. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Lee. Thanks for listening, guys. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. 
You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose. And in doing so, you will discover your hidden why. This is The Hidden Why. My name is Lee Manutzi. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon.